In today's show, it's the first of our team preview podcasts. We're looking at every team across the NBA with the hosts of the specific Locked On podcast. Get the insights on that squad today. It's the Milwaukee Bucks. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Fangio Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit Fangio.com slash Locked On today to get started. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. So we're not going to be talking specific fantasy values of guys today. We do another team preview where it's just me banging out ADPs and ranks and sleepers and busts and all that sort of stuff. Dynasty guys to look at. We are looking here. Again, what we do on this show is from the draft onwards, it's about building a base of information. So we're just ramping stuff up as we get to the start of the season. There's no point doing a mock draft for this year right now, right? We're going to ramp. It will come. Don't worry. We're going to ramp into it. We get a base of knowledge. We look at Stat correlations, we look at year-to-year correlations, we look at pairings, we look at injury updates, we look at summer league stuff, we move into these team preview things, so we've got stuff in our head, and then we roll through into ADPs, we roll through into ranks, we roll through into breakouts and sleepers and mock drafts, and it all crescendos up through the end, middle to end of August, through September, into October when the NBA season starts. That is how it all is going to go. So, what we are going to do over the next couple of weeks, there'll be other shows sprinkled in as well. But we're going to be banging out the 30 teams over the next three weeks, and I am going to be joined, of course. First one we're talking is Milwaukee Bucks by a man who's just down the road from me. It's Kane Pittman, the host of the Locked On Bucks podcast. Kane, welcome back to the show. Well, it's always an absolute pleasure, particularly for a man that uh, had some gifts for me the other day. Uh, I owe you. Yes. And it's, a, it's a pleasure to be on this show. Yes, Kane finally got himself a box of built bars that I had sitting here for like a year that I'd got, you know, whenever I got my boxes of built bars. And I said, I'll get you some, don't worry, Kane. And then we just hadn't caught up. We're, like, oh, we're going to catch up, we'll catch up, we'll catch up. And it's never happened. But it did last week. So Kane got his box of built bars expired, but that was still there. And uh, I know built bars not even sponsoring today's show, but there you go. Free little plug for the old legends over at built bar for all of their service over the last couple of years. So Kane, we're going to talk obviously about the um, Milwaukee Bucks here and their season. We chatted about this the other night. Like it, the Bucks generally in these shows, they're a pretty boring team to take a look at. I'm not sure they're quite as boring this season. Um, there are a few things that we do need to get into, so we'll get into them right now. We'll start off by looking at the changes on the roster, the comings and the going. So arriving Malik Beasley, Robin Lopez, and then in the draft, it was Andre Jackson Jr. and Chris Livingston, and then Amari Moores on a two-way. They do lose Joe Ingles and Javon Carter, the two guys who basically functioned as point guards in the second unit. Myers Leonard, Goran Dragic, another guy who had moments of being the point guard in the second unit, and Wes Matthews headed over to Atlanta. So when I say that there are more interesting things to talk about with this team, that's one of them. We are going to get into that a a little bit later on in terms of 
I'm just going to check. Maybe we aren't going to get into it. No, we're not going to get into it. So we'll get into it now. What, what's going on at backup point guard on this team? They lose Carter. <laughs> they lose Ingles. They don't bring back Dragic at this point. How are they going to run things? Do they have that much faith in Andre Jackson? Is it going to be a lot of staggering of Giannis, Drew, even Middleton, I guess? It's going to be interesting. I saw you tweet about this the other day, so I had a feeling that we were going to talk about it. And we've had multiple shows already on Lockdown Bucks asking the same question. We've been looking at potential trades because certainly over the last few months, by all reports, the Bucks have been active in at least assessing the trade market and maybe they are a guard short in terms of ball handling now. So do they bring someone in through the season? Historically, the Bucks have made trades, so I suspect that the roster will change over the next few months or leading into the trade deadline. But as it is right now, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I don't know whether they think that they can tap into Malik Beasley a little bit more. We've seen in Minnesota, he certainly had the ball in his hands more than he did uh, as a Laker where he was predominantly a, a catch-and-shoot guy standing in the corner a lot. So maybe they, they think that they can get some minutes there. As you pointed to, Andre Jackson Jr. was actually pretty impressive in summer league in terms of having the ball in his hands. He is a, a creator. He's a nice facilitator, but that's asking a lot for a guy that you took in the second round of the draft as a rookie on a team that's expecting to contend. So this is easily the biggest question on the Bucks roster right now. Uh, who is going to uh, have those minutes? And, and the other thing that's unknown is Adrian Griffin. How is he going to run the offense and how is he going to stagger these lineups as well? So to me, the answer right now is they don't have a backup point guard on the roster. So it is a big curiosity. You mentioned Andre Jackson at Summer League. And you're right, there were some moments where he handled the ball well. He defended really well. But I reckon if we're, if Angel had the market here for over-under games of zero points scored, it'd be around 64 and a half, I reckon. I, I couldn't, every time he touched it, I was like, oh no, there's no way this is going in. A couple of them did go in, but it looked pretty rough on that end. We'll talk more about that a little bit later on, I think. But let's talk about a couple of injury situations. I feel like we do the same thing every year in terms of talking injuries, in terms of the Giannis knee situation. We've got another guy to add to that list now. But both Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton had knee surgery in the offseason. Middleton's start to last season was delayed with a wrist issue, came back a little bit later than expected, then the knees bothered him all year, and then he had another surgery on it. So we'll start with Giannis. Had that cleanup surgery, which you know it's never a good thing to have a surgery, but we've been talking three or four years about this knee problem that's never going away for Giannis. So we're going to be in more of the same in terms of um, your games off and never hitting 70 games or anything like that. How did you, we know all that, but how did you think that the knee, which was a real, which was a problem at times, how did it impact his actual on-court performance? Well, it's interesting because additionally to the knee, he also had a, a hand problem that was hampering him right through the back end of the season. So it was actually a little bit surprising. We kind of just expected that we would see some sort of report or some sort of notification that Giannis had a, a procedure on his hand. Instead, it was the knee. Uh, as you referenced, we've discussed this on this show for years, but he hadn't actually reportedly anyway gone in for this type of cleanup uh, procedure. So you hope that that provides him some kind of relief. But I did note down the games played for Bucks players last year because it's easy to look at the record and see that they were the number one seed. But a lot went wrong from a health standpoint, particularly through the first few months of the season. So Giannis... He only got to 63, so he wasn't even close to that 70-game mark. And Middleton, as you referenced, only played 33. So the, the Bucks for their, their main players, including Giannis, you think that they're just running it back. But there is upside if those guys can be healthy because Giannis, from an efficiency standpoint, away from the rim, it was his worst year in, in a number of seasons. And I think part of that was carrying 
uh, more of a load while Middleton was out and some of the other injuries they had. But maybe also part of it was he was just carrying these these bumps and bruises that he's going to naturally have because of how physical he plays the game. Fantasy managers hated the fact that Giannis's steals and blocks really dropped off last season. And I think maybe we can associate some of that to the knee issue. But I think what you also mentioned is that his scoring load went up gigantically with yep. Middleton out. So if Middleton's back and playing, say, 60, 65 games, whatever it is, maybe there's more hope for Giannis to be more of a defensive playmaker. Was it noticeable that he was not, not putting in less effort, but being less exerting less in terms of chasing those um, blocks or or playing for like a passing lane steals or anything like that? Well, I think the other big factor with last season was Brooke Lopez was back. Yeah. So if you, if you went to the year earlier, Bobby Porter spent a lot of the year at the five. And so naturally Giannis spent more minutes playing as a small ball center. He was asked to defend uh, the paint a lot more than he, than he was last season with Brook Lopez there, who I'm sure we'll get to, but he was amazing last year. So I think it was a combination of Brook being back and then uh, obviously the offensive load, as we already discussed. I thought towards the back end of the season when the Bucks were really cooking, they were able to get the number one seed. That was my main argument for why Giannis could be in the MVP discussion or why he should have, he should have probably got more consideration because I do think that some of the efficiency stuff and just the overall record of the Bucks masked uh, how big his season was last year. If you're just looking at the box score and just looking at the numbers, I thought he was enormous. We'll talk Chris Middleton now as well, because this is a knee problem that he had back at Texas A&M as well. And it flared up in the playoffs, around the playoffs of last season. Had a He had a, uh, an issue there, had the wrist surgery as well in the off season, and now another knee problem, which limited him to really low minutes when he did play and limited games. We're sort of looking at another management, long-term management type thing here is what I fear with Middleton. Is that how you're viewing it? I think so. But this is kind of uh, obviously something we see across the league anyway. For the Bucks, I think as long as their main players are going to be healthy, I still think they're going to be a top two or three team in the Eastern Conference. So they will just pick and choose. And I don't know what it means for Middleton in terms of back-to-backs, but if you are talking about it from a fantasy point of view, I have some concern about his availability playing you know, the four and five nights or whatever it may be, back-to-back games. Uh, but I don't really buy into the the wider idea, and there's a lot of fear about this from Bucks fans. I don't really buy into the idea that he's all of a sudden an injury-prone guy. The original knee injury from the 2022 playoffs came slipping on a wet spot. It was unlucky. And and he his other major injury earlier in his career, the hamstring yeah, tendon yeah. surgery that he had, was also on a wet spot. So... Of course, there is concern that maybe there is some physical decline that is starting to happen. But I also think he's been unlucky with a couple of these incidents. And you hope that now, uh, after a, a smaller load last year during the regular season and now an extended offseason, maybe he does come back fresh because he went through a period with long playoff runs, straight to the Olympics with Team USA as well. So he's taken uh, major minutes and major games over the last few years. Chris Middleton will now be known as the wet spot legend. Kane, <laughs> Kane have you been referred to as a wet spot legend in your in your time? No, but even if I had, I wouldn't admit it. That's for damn sure. Fair enough. Today's episode, I'm sure they're glad of that lead, is brought to you by Fangio. Football season is about to kick off and Fangio is giving you the chance to win all season long because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time that they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. And you can use those bonus bets on spreads or straight-up wins, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit Fangio.com slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's Fangio.com slash locked on. Hey, Go sign up, 
place your bets. Football's here. We had the fan, uh, Hall of Fame game. It was dreadful, but it was there. Preseason's going. You can go to FanDuel, get your bonus bets. It is all ready to go. All right, we have talked injuries. Now we're going to talk... What are we going to talk now? We're going to look at Kane Pittman's projected starting five. Shocker, it is the exact same one they ran out last season. Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen, Chris Middleton, Giannis, Brooke Lopez. Any chance you reckon that Malik Beasley might kick Grayson Allen out of there? Yeah, Grayson Allen is clearly the big question mark here. I'm basically looking at last year, 72 games. He had 70 starts, and he had a pretty damn good season. He shot over 40% from three on, on high volume, so... He's definitely someone who naturally, as we all suspect, is a scapegoat for reasons why the Bucks have problems and he's easy to pick on. And defensively, he's not a star defensive player, but I've never thought it was through lack of effort. Sometimes it's a, it's a little bit of lack of size if he's asked to defend up. So I think that's problematic for, for Grayson Allen on that end of the floor. Uh, but I think it will be a question mark of Malik Beasley. Is he someone that can have the ball in his hands a little bit more in different lineups? Does it make more sense for him to come off the bench? And then if you're talking to Bucks fans, Marjon Bochamp, who we might discuss, but he is the one that Bucks fans in an ideal world can come into this starting lineup, particularly for defensive flexibility and maybe just a bit of defensive chaos as well. And that would mean that the Bucks have got some significant upside out of him. But I think at the moment, as it currently stands, this would be the starting five. But Justin Garcia, my co-host on uh, Locked on Bucks, a very regular co-host on Locked on Bucks, has made the point that he doesn't think the starting two guard on the Bucks roster come playoff time is with Milwaukee right now. And I tend to feel that that might be the case. Very, very, very cryptic and very interesting, Kane. But that does bring us to Marjan Beauchamp because we talk about projecting out a rotation, a 10-man rotation for most regular nights in the regular season. So Beasley's there, Beauchamp's there, Connaughton's there, Jay Crowder's there, Bobby Portis is there. It's really hard to have too much of an argument with that. The person that people will have questions about is Beauchamp, who... I'll be honest with you, Kane. I thought he looked pretty bad at Summer League. I thought the offense just didn't come along where it needed to be. The shot wasn't there. Um, I didn't feel super confident with the ball in his hands. Defensively, I think he's okay, but I also don't think that with the level of offensive, you have to choose the wrong word. He had some okay moments because he's not Matisse Thibel offensively, but he's also nowhere near Matisse Thibel defensively. Mm -hmm. So I had real concerns about the fact that as a second-year guy, who's now been a pro for two years after because he came from G League Ignite, he just looked like someone. He just looked like anybody out there. He didn't really shine on a team that had no one else taking the ball. It wasn't like he was playing on Houston with you know, four top five draft picks on the squad. Right, It was him who should have been the guy really turning it up, and, and he didn't to me. I, I was just pretty disappointed with it. I think, and this is uh, certainly looking at the optimistic view of things, but watching that Buck Summer League team, I was the line. The lineups that they had out there just made no sense. And a lot of the times they had zero shooting on the floor. Now, Marjan Bochamp has actually been a willing shooter. He certainly wasn't as shy as what I thought he might have been last year in his rookie season. And he still shot 33.7%, but he would have nights where he was four for five from three. And then he'd go a couple of nights where he'd miss 10 in a row. You know, And that's fine. He's a little bit of a streaky shooter at this point in time. But I do wonder if you want to be optimistic about it, and this might... Uh, count for Andre Jackson Jr. as well. Those guys don't project right now to be stars. They don't. They might not even project to be starters. But are they guys that can get to another level and be more suited when they are playing alongside the better players in, in rosters and, and lineups that simply make a little bit more sense? So I agree with you. There was quarters where Bochamp looked offensively like he was able to take over games. But then he also had six quarters of Summer League basketball where he didn't score a point. And for a second-year guy as a first-rounder, you definitely were left wanting more. But I think that maybe 
the summer league squad didn't help him. Weird season for Jay Crowder. Last season was stuck sort of as a member of the Phoenix Suns. Didn't play, came over, and I'll be fair, he looked washed as well last yeah. season. How much of that is advanced age or how much of that is the fact that he sat out for five months and then sort of came in cold to a team with no training camp? I am expecting him to be a little bit better than he was, but there's got to be a little bit of a fear that a guy like Crowder who is yeah, pushing pushing up in the age range that maybe the drop-off a la Trevor Ariza just, it just comes and he's just not good enough anymore. So I think that there was definitely some concern heading into the off-season about whether there was going to be a market for Jay Crowder because he was coming off that $10 million deal. And if there was a team out there that believed that uh, he was going to be able to contribute to a starting level caliber on a playoff team again, then the Bucs wouldn't have been able to bring him back. And that would have left them severely short in that sort of wing position. So I think it was good business to bring him back. I think it makes sense. They gave up five second rounders. So you may as well actually have an extended look at him. But it's it's one of the unknowns. We've seen it a little bit more in recent seasons where guys will come and Jay Crowder was certainly one of them. And he goes, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm coming into the team. I've been working out. I'm in uh, perfect shape. I'm, I'm ready to go. And it just didn't really look like that. And I think it's hard to replicate what he's doing in personal uh, workouts compared to being with the team. So again, a lot of these guys, you just have to try and take an optimistic view. But certainly the Bucks, when you look at the roster and where it's at, it looks like there's a major role for him. So if you're a Bucks fan, you've got to cross your fingers and hope that he's still that starting caliber player or rotation playoff player. Let's talk about some young players on this team. I'm looking at everyone who's aged under 23 at the moment. There's only four of them. There's Beauchamp. Oh, Andre, <laughs> no, no, it is a, it is a small list. Beauchamp, Andre Jackson, Amari Moore, and Chris Livingston. So the main thing I want to focus on here is, do you think that Beauchamp and Jackson, who you just sort of detailed, like they're relatively similar players. Offense struggles. Beauchamp's a higher usage guy. The shot's not there. Jackson's a better defender. Do you think there's a, how do they coexist together? Because that is two guards, theoretically, that you probably can't rely upon to shoot or space or do anything like that. Is it a little bit of a one or the other? Because you didn't have Jackson in your predicted opening night rotation. It'll be that if he jumps in, it's going to be at the expense of Beauchamp. Or do you think they could coexist somehow down the line? Well, I think the depth, the veteran depth of this Bucks team has reduced from last year as well. We were talking about, if we did this show last year, there was probably 12 or 13 guys that I was trying to squeeze into that 9, 10-man rotation. Now, it does feel like there's a drop-off. So Andre Jackson might be the next guy in line. Uh, but he, as I said, he's a second-round pick with with clear limitations at this point in time. So the depth isn't quite there for the Bucks as it was, and they've taken a different approach, which is a little bit strange. You mentioned Andre Jackson not shooting the three all that well. The Bucks have absolutely been a team that every player that Mike Budenholzer brings in needs to be able to shoot the three. So maybe this is partly the Bucks looking at a different approach, trying to get younger, trying to get more athletic. Um, but Bochamp and Jackson Jr. and Chris Livingston, for that matter, uh, not guys that are, are known shooters or expected to come in and shoot the three. So it feels like they've changed uh, the the approach a little bit. Do they fit together, particularly alongside Giannis, which has been the whole uh, point of what the Bucks have tried to do? It's, it's a little bit odd. So I'm not sure how both of those guys get minutes if everyone's healthy. I like the way that you segued for me there. So I'm going to bring that straight in because you talked about what Mike Budenholzer would prioritize, and he's gone. And for all of the playoff foibles, that existed with Budenholzer. He was an unbelievably good regular season coach. You only had to see, look what happened. Jason Kidd, Budenholzer, like 10, 12 extra wins with basically the same squad. Not, not exactly. I think Brook Lopez joined that year as well, but you know, relatively similar squad. Big jump up. And he's continually been, look, last year, Chris Milton played 30 games and they won 58 of them, or 58 games total. Like it's a ridiculous amount. So we bring in an untried 
head coach in Adrian Griffin, who's been an assistant for a long time. But what is the schematic thing that you think is going to change without understanding necessarily what Griffin's going to do? You would have heard little bits and pieces, but what does, I guess, the, what's the negative of losing Bud here for the regular season? Probably stability and the idea that you, you're really not going to have too much drama through a regular season, as you pointed to, with what you're doing on both ends of the floor, because you know it's already been established that it is a, a winning style of basketball, uh, mostly on the defensive end with how they use Brook Lopez. So Ad- Adrian Griffin has spoken a little bit about the idea that maybe he wants to be a little bit more aggressive defensively, search for those turnovers a little bit more, and then on the other, on the other end, use that athleticism and crash the offensive glass a little bit more. The Bucks have been a good offensive rebounding team, but does this mean it'll be more aggressive from those guards and wings that are going to try and get in the paint? So it sounds to me like they're going to be a little bit more aggressive on both ends of the floor, looking for guys to move off the ball perhaps rather than Giannis at the top, four guys around, see if you can shoot the three. So I think there's going to be a little bit more creativity He does come from the Nick Nurse system, which uh, didn't always work. And one thing that we continue to point out defensively for the Raptors is they gave up an absolute ton of corner threes historically over the years as well. The Bucs have not done that. They have not given up those corner threes. So I think there's going to be changes. And the one thing that I am fascinated by, if the Bucs do have some growing pains, which feels like it might be the case with a new coach, that's totally fine. But how do the Bucs handle that? Because there's been zero drama and it has been so stable for the last five seasons. Yeah, they just play through anything. Someone gets hurt, someone else jumps in, they just execute the system. And like we talked, we haven't spoken much about it, but we'll talk about him now, Brook Lopez, the, the way that the scheme fit him so perfectly. And yeah, he was able to put together his best season in you know, five years pretty yeah. easily, coming off back surgery. But if that system changes at all and defense you know, makes decisions to give up corner threes more, in, in, to do other things defensively, yeah, how does that impact his role? Because everything, I won't say it was centered around him, but but it was. Like defensively, it was, here's Brook Lopez and we just fit everything around that and it worked perfectly to maximize his skills. So is there a, a risk in, in in terms of Lopez, one year older, of course, like everyone, but he's you know, getting towards the end of his career now that this change in defensive scheme, which probably happens, like that might impact his overall impact. Two impacts in one sentence, a bonus for you. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it's a fair uh, question to ask. And if you did, and, and I don't know if I'm, I'm jumping ahead there, but if you ask me for this Bucks team that has been so stable and had guys that we know what to expect from, if you said who's a guy that could potentially drop off a little bit or regress, unfortunately, i got to say it could be the big fella because, I, I and I love Brook Lopez, and I think he deserved the deal. He's been underpaid for a number of years for what he's brought to the table for the Bucks, but... He's going to turn 36 during this season. And if you look at last year, 64% on twos, two and a half blocks a game, 16 points a game, which was his most since uh, 2017 there. And he also played 30 and a half minutes a night at his age. And I don't think that that is necessarily the best thing for the Bucs anyway. So maybe what Milwaukee will be able to do is experiment with smaller lineups a little bit more. It might mean that Brook Lopez takes a hit statistically, but it might also be better for the Bucks if he's down back playing around 25 minutes a night rather than missing just four games for the entire regular season and playing over 30 minutes. So I, I think that he can benefit from it. But certainly if you're just talking purely statistically, I do kind of expect that Brook Lopez is going to come back a little bit. The minutes were weird because he played 27 minutes a night before he got injured when he was yeah. two years younger. He was playing like 26, 27. And they're like, no, nah, let's go off, off a surgery, play 31 a night, which was a little bit weird. We know this team got bounced in the first round, Kane, and there was a Giannis injury part of that, and Middleton was sort of still relatively limited. But what what is the big thing they need to improve on this season? Well, I thought the strangest part 
about the way the Bucks lost in that series. And even if you go back and watch it, it's easy to say, well, they lost in five games and, and you pointed to Giannis obviously being out. But in game uh, three, four, and five, they were in really dominant positions with around a quarter to go or early in the fourth quarter. They and they were clearly the better team for the three quarters and they just had these absolute mental collapses. It was just bizarre to watch game over game. Years gone by, that hasn't been a problem for me. When the Bucks won the title, they won a whole bunch of close games and they were always the team that was able to overcome that. So I, I think that you know, for Milwaukee, the big question will be is, is there any type of weird scarring that, that comes from such a collapse like that? I don't think personnel-wise they have too many concerns. I think as long as they're healthy, particularly Middleton obviously is a big part of that, I think they're going to be in a fine spot. But it was just the nature of the way they lost those games in the fourth quarter that does give you some sort of pause. The Bucks had a change, a somewhat change in ownership recently with the Haslams coming in. Um, they are you know, the guys who own the Cleveland Browns. That's you know, There's this weird thing with the Bucks where I think it was Lazarus and the Edens and one of them would be in control for a few years and they'd, they'd switch. It was, it was a weird scenario, right? So now the Haslams come in. Is there any like upheaval here or anything that would change the operation of the franchise with this change in ownership? That is there any change to the structure of this you know co-governorship situation they had going? Like, is there any impact on that or, or nothing? I don't think so, but I certainly understand why Bucks fans would have some concern because, again, I think I've said stability about fifteen times on this podcast, but it just has been so stable. So the big question, if you're a Milwaukee fan, is are they just going to keep spending money? And we know the Bucks now are in the luxury tax. You've still got Giannis for another two years under contract. He could sign an extension this summer, but I don't see personally why he would do that. I think that's more going to be a conversation for next year. And probably if you want to extend Giannis long-term, which they're going to have to invest some cash and continue to ensure that this team is winning, that's when it's going to be a question mark when you have an ownership change. Are they still willing to spend the money? Are they willing to be in the luxury tax year on year on year? Uh, beforehand, they were certainly vocal, the ownership group saying that they were going to be, but that's the biggest question. Are the Bucks going to keep spending money in a small market to try and win another title with Giannis and, and that's that's what you do have reason to be concerned from but this season uh they did it so that's something to a, at least feel positive about who's a breakout candidate on this team I think I think it really like it has to be Beauchamp really like I don't really know who else would fit that category it has to be and again you know are there going to be major minutes for him there he actually did play he did big big minutes before the all-star break and then when hmm. the Bucks started to win games they got healthy again he got squeezed out uh, a little bit. And I think part of that was maybe he was starting to fatigue a little bit. He, he was becoming a little bit more inconsistent by the time he got to the middle of January uh, around that time. So another off-season for him. Um, but unless you're really, really feeling optimistic about Andre Jackson Jr., which, by the way, our good mate Sam Fasini is, yep. uh, I, I think it, it has to be Marjan Bochamp because also I just think that there is going to be opportunities for him to play real rotation minutes. As we discussed, uh, the depth uh, might have dropped off a little bit. So you already talked about a regression candidate in Brook Lopez. So we don't need to hover on that one. But what about a most likely player to be traded? Who do you think would be... Obviously, there's quite a few of these random like Connertons and Crowders or even the young guys. Like, who, who do you think is the most likely to be shipped off when they do get that starting shooting guard of the future or present? Well, I, I think Milwaukee, particularly if they are looking at guys... Like Colin Sexton has just been mentioned a lot in terms ah, of, yes. you know, could, could the Bucks like get involved in Colin Sexton? So to do that, you're probably going to have to have a couple of those players you mentioned to get to the salary level. So Grayson Allen would be the prime candidate. He's certainly been mentioned in trade reports and, and rumors over the last 12 months. He's got a $9 million expiring deal. So that, that can be valuable in trying to add salary. 
And then Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis, two championship players that have been incredibly reliable uh, rotation players for this team. Those are the three guys that are going to be in the mix in terms of salary matching purposes. But if you want uh, some value, and maybe a team looks at a guy like Bo Champ and says, okay, he's a first-round pick. Maybe this is a valuable guy that has upside. Or uh, can we say the 2029 first-round pick as well, which is the only one they've got to trade? But yep. you're looking at those guys. I'll say Grayson Allen just because it, there's been a lot of smoke around that over the last sort of year. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's move into some season win projections. Last year, they were 58 and 24, fourth best net rating in the NBA, plus 4.4. They won 58 games, as I said. FanDuel Sportsbook has their line set at 53 and a half. Kane, you've gone 55 wins. I went with 54 wins. So I reckon that's going to be a pretty common theme where I come under the uh, the guest host's predictions. So we're expecting a little bit of a drop-off, even though, again, we're not coming into the season expecting that Chris Middleton is going to play 33 games only. So what, is it just a, the the new coach factor, the big thing for you there? Yeah, I think variance. I think they'll be, uh, in terms of their consistency, maybe on both ends of the floor, but I think it'll take some time. And I do think that there will just be more experimentation in general. So that might provide some some different results to what we've come to expect in the past. But uh, overall, we've both still got them on the over, Josh. It's very close. Then I don't think I'm, I feel like I'm going too far out on a limb here with 55 wins. No, look, they won 58. Look, that's the over-under set four and a half under where they were last season. So that is a decent enough drop-off. And we've gone down a little bit from there. We're still going over, which is fine. Now... That's the serious part of the show. We're going to play a little. Yeah. Uh, we're going to play a little bit of a game, Kane. It's it's fun time now because you've seen all these grids take the world by storm. Immaculate grid and crossover grid and hoop grid. So we're going to do something. I had to come up with a stupid name for it. So I'm going to call it the gritty because that's the closest I'm going to get to ever dropping a gritty as a uh, old white man. So we obviously can't do rarity scores because only you're playing. That's it. You're the only person playing. But I've got a system here in order to rank the guys that you choose for these these crossovers in terms of the the fewest amount of games played for either of the teams. So for example, when you look at the Bucks and Wolves there, if you get someone who played like only one game for either the Wolves or for the Bucks, that's the lowest score you can get. And if the player you chose was the highest games played, like the most, oh yeah, I remember this guy playing so many games for both teams, then you get a high score. Does that make sense? So we're looking for the guys who... Yeah, the, the the better score you get will be for players who played fewer games for, for either team. It doesn't have to be, you know, they could have played 700 games for one team and one game for the other. But to get that crossover of that one game, that's the key factor there. Will we understand where we're at with this? I think so. And then obviously the last one is they've what, have averaged eight rebounds a game in a season playing for the Milwaukee Bucks. That's that last grid. So it's Milwaukee and Minnesota, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Milwaukee, New Orleans, Milwaukee the and the Warriors, and Milwaukee and the Nets. So where do, where do you want to start? What's, what's come through your head here at the moment of what you want to do? Uh, I've got a few names that have come to mind, and I'm, I'm already a little concerned with a couple of the names I'm going to go to, whether they are actually not even accurate, which would be like kind, kind, of, <laughs> kind of embarrassing. But let's go... Uh, Bucks and Warriors, Gary Payton. Bucks and Warriors, Gary Payton. Okay, young so young Mitten. That is that is a good one. I'm just going to look down the list here to see where where he is on my list because I do have the list in front of me, and this is not working as well as I would have liked to it. No. Yeah, I know there he is. There he is, Gary Payton. That's actually a pretty good score, Kane. I am going to yeah, as I try and run all of this here myself. Let's let's get the the numbers up. All right, Gary Payton. Let's just put Payton on the thing, and the score is very very respectable, six point nine one for Gary Payton. There nice. you go. 
All right, so that's that's a really good start there from you, Gary Payton. All right, what are we looking at next? Remember, you can't double them up in, in the squares as well. Uh, yes, I'm going to go with uh, Bucks and Brooklyn Nets, and I'm going to go Mirza Toledovic. Ooh, okay. Mirza Toledovic. That is that is a good one. Let's see what score. Oh, actually, is, is it a good one? No, it's not bad. It's not bad. You get a score of, oh, actually, it's not that good, 25.6 for mm. Mirza Toledovic. Let's put that. Tough in break. there, twenty. What's the actual number? Twenty-five point five seven. There we go. There's a Toledovic in that one. All right, where are we going? I'm going Bucks and Pelicans, and this one is one that I'm. I am a little concerned about, but I was, I was trying to think of names that have played for both, and nothing was really coming to mind except for the now NBA champion. And I think I think it's right, but I'm not 100% sure if he played for the Pelicans. Ish Smith, is, is he Pelican at some point? He must have been. He, that is, Ish Smith is a, uh, a crossover game legend. <laughs> Ish Smith has... I hope he played for the Pelicans. He, he did play for the Pelicans. In fact, that is a, it's actually a really good score. 7.81 for Ish Smith because okay. he played just 27 games for the Pelicans and 17 for the Bucks. Nice. So that's a or sixteen for the bucks. Sorry, so you get a nice little seven point eight one score there. So so far you're going pretty well. Okay, let's go bucks and Cavs, and this is another one that I'm not a hundred percent certain of. But if it's accurate, it's going to be an absolute beauty. All right, I'm let's going go. with Mamadi Diakite. Did he play for the Cavs? I think so. Mamadi Diakite. That is wow. Okay, that is that is a very very good pull. I <laughs> he did play for the Cavs. Diakite has played 22 games for Cleveland and 14 for Milwaukee. That gives you a score of 5.75. Nice. Really, nice. really looking good there. All right, so we've got two to go. Where are we going to uh, attack now? We'll go the eight rebounds per game. And this, again, I'm just trying to think of random players that did not play too many games. And there's a few names coming to my mind, but this is eight rebounds per game over a season. Yes. Let me try... Uh, this is tough because I don't know whether... Let me just throw a random one at the wall. What about the big vanilla Granilla? G- gorilla. Granilla. Joel, Joel Prisbilla. Oh, unfortunately, Kane, I have to <laughs> tell you that Joel Prisbilla did not average eight rebounds per game oh for the Milwaukee Bucks. That is unfortunate for you. There were, there were 28 players who have done that. The... Player who's played the most games for the Bucks, who averaged that was Giannis. The mm. player who played the fewest games for the Bucks. Tell me if you've ever heard of this guy, the big fella Fred Hetzel. No. Yeah, me either. Fifty-three games for big Fred Hetzel, and he did average yeah. eight rebounds per game in one season. So we give you an, we X that one out. That's unfortunate for you. Last one. We've got the Timberwolves and the Bucks. What are we? What are we going with here? Not sure. This is a very tough one. I'm honestly struggling for a single name. And now there must there must have obviously been a fair few players that have gone through, but I'm just really battling. Like I've got a name that is a very very prominent player, and he played a whole shit ton of games for both teams. So I can't go with that. He's a point guard, a very 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 popular player for both teams. So I don't want to go there. But I honestly can't think of anyone else. Okay. And I know that's like going to be embarrassing to listen back because there'll be some <laughs> there'll be there'll be some names that I probably should have gone with, but I honestly can't think of anyone except for Sam Cassell, and that's like yeah. okay, well that, that is that is correct, obviously. 
Sam Cassell gives you a score of, unfortunately, Kane, I have to take it, 72.02 because <laughs> Cassell played 300, 313 games for Milwaukee and 144 minutes. So let me give you a couple of names you missed out on here that I think you'll be kicking yourself over. Bryn Forbes, ring a bell. Yeah, Forbesy. Jeff Teague. Yep. Oh, yeah, uh, of course. Teague. Sh- Shabazz Muhammad. Yep, um, classic. Miroslav R- Radulica. Yep, yep, classic. Um, how about the big fella Moose, Greg Monroe? Yeah, yeah, the Moose. He uh short stint there with the Timberwolves. Yeah, so there's a. I wonder if Moose was actually an eight rebounder for the Bucks as well, was he? Let me go and have a look at that list to say whether I think he was. I think he was. Greg, yes, he was actually. Yeah, he was. So there you go. That is well, I... that is the first the first crack at the gritty for us. You, you did okay. You did okay, Kevin. I don't know why that screen is. Oh, I've, I've put the wrong screen up on the there for you. I've, I should put the final score up. I hadn't been putting it up. There you go. There's your final numbers for all of those players. This is just a, a pr- production error that I didn't get that across on the screen earlier. But there you go. Um, what? You didn't get Palka Soul. What am I doing? They were having some real technical difficulties here. Let's. Uh, that wasn't Palka Soul. It was Sam Cassell. What am I doing? All right. We'll be better for the next one. That's okay. No one really cares about the Bucks that much, Kane, so he'll be all right. <laughs> there we go. So Cassell, Dikiti, Smith, Peyton, Toledovich. Okay, so I got Cassell down the bottom one. That's what screwed me up. Anyway. We get it. We're fine. I've got to, uh, you know what? I have to put it back in because I need to tally the scores to tell you how much worse than everyone else you are. <laughs> Who did you have for that one? You had... That wrong. That wrong. You had... Hmm. Bill. Oh, that's right. You... you Triple X that one, didn't you? All right, there you go. As we figure shit out on the fly. All right, Kane, that's it. We're done. Tell everyone Absolute. what's what's coming up over at uh, Locked On Bucks. Uh, plenty national team duties for FIBA World Cup coming up. There's going to be a few bucks involved, so we'll have some different guests. Uh, particularly keeping an eye on Team Greece, even though Giannis might not be there. So FIBA World Cup fun. Let's be honest. It's August, and we're all desperate uh, for some basketball to watch. We are. There's, that's coming up soon, and uh, you'll be checking out Locked on Bucks. You'll be here with me. Kane, thank you again for coming on and uh, chatting with the Bucks with me. Always a pleasure, mate. And that'll do it for me today. Outside of that little stuff up with those numbers on the gritty, we'll be better for tomorrow's one. Don't worry. We've got more team preview shows coming. We've got the Jazz, the Magic, the Pelicans. They're all coming on deck really, really soon, guys. Follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and here on YouTube. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.